if anybody's learned about time value of money, a, a dollar saved today that we're able to uh, reuse in our business or our real estate is worth more than having that dollar over those 39 years. If, I, if I'm able to accelerate the depreciation and speed up the amount of expenses I'm able to take, I'm saving more money in taxes this year that I can use to reinvest in my business or real estate. What's up, everybody? My name is Mike Shogren here with my co-host, Emmanuel Pani. We're part of a group of specialized real estate investors you've probably never heard of. We didn't start with deep pockets or wealthy families, and we don't rely on 401ks, mutual funds, or traditional real estate investing. In fact, many of us don't even own the properties that fund our freedom. If you ask the money experts out there, they'd say what we do is impossible, yet it's happening every single day. It's happening through a new niche called short-term rentals. We are Short-Term Rental Nation, and these are our secrets. What's going on, STR Nation? Welcome back to another episode of the Short-Term Rental Secrets Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Shogren, here with my main man and brother from another mother, Mr. Emmanuel Pani. What's up, B? My brother, I get to see you in like less than two weeks. Dude, I'm jacked. I'm jacked. 10 days away. I can't believe it. Like, I can't believe that after all. So I think the last time we saw each other was Grant Cardone. Is that seriously it? The last time we hung out in person? 2019? 2019. Damn. I was telling Tasha, because me and Tasha were talking, I was like, dude, I'm so excited to go to Nashville. And I'm like, dude, when is the last time I saw Mike? I'm like, is that when he came down? She's like, no, there's no way. I'm like, I don't think I've seen him since. Yeah, dude, that that's wild. It doesn't feel that long, but I guess because we Zoom all the time. But We do Zoom a lot, yeah. But it's I'm super excited. Life is good. We are um, launching a property for a client on Friday. Uh, I am going to a final walkthrough and a closing after this for another client. I am trying to find our good friend, Tim, a house. I'm going to have to start charging him for my extra uh, therapy sessions that I'm, that I'm going through just to deal with him. He texted um, me the other day. He's like, I feel like I should throw E like a couple grand just because I think I'm driving him nuts. I'm like, you probably are, but it's kind of comes with the territory. So. It does come with the territory. And it's just like, at the same time, it's just like, you love all your clients, but then you realize you're like, oh my God, there are some people that are just so intense. And when you're not used to, like my last couple of clients have been very mellow. And so the attention that he needs for a very more intense client and like having to like raise my energy to match his, it's exhausting. And that just goes back into like, you know what I mean? Like, especially if you're in sales, that ability of like mirroring and like matching your clients, it's super important. But when you get out of practice or if you start working with the same kind of clients over and over to re be able to sh shift gears has been fun but life is yeah. good man what about you other than the fact that you have the biggest event of your life just nine days away what else is yeah there? we've got our first guest checking in today for a, a unit we just launched out in the hamptons in new york so Ooh. it's our first one out there so it should be good and then i got a text from the or Matt from my team got a text from that owner. Hey, three of my buddies, I uh, was telling them about you guys. They want you guys to run their properties too. So it might turn into four units in the Hamptons. We'll see how that goes. Nice. Um, but yeah, man, other than that, it's really just been prepping for this. I actually was just about to send Bill and Chris my, my presentation. So pretty pumped for that. And then I've got... I've got Caden's kindergarten graduation next week, which will be hey. fun. Yeah, he's getting big, yeah. dude. He's ready for the big leagues now. Yeah. So, okay. so. He's playing baseball. He's graduating kindergarten. Before we know it, he's going to start going out with girls on dates. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Calling Uncle Tim to get his, his Rari, hopefully, because that's, you know. 
Tim, oh, Tim came over with a Ferrari last week, and Caden okay. could have cared less. I was like uh, jacked up. I was going to drive it, and Caden could have cared less. I'm like, all right, man, whatever. Hey, there you go. Um, Good. Maybe he's into other things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. But uh, I'm pumped for today. So today um, we've got a special guest who's actually going to be speaking at the conference. And if you've been living under a rock, what we're talking about is the Short-Term Rental Wealth Conference. Uh, it's June 6th to the 8th in Nashville. So we've got two full days plus a badass welcome party the first day. Some amazing speakers from all over the world. I'll be there. He will be there. Bill Faith, our guest that I'm about to announce will be there. And it's going to be a blast, man. Like I'm, I'm super pumped. This has been a long time coming. So but anyway, uh, today on the show, we've got Ryan Bakey with us. So he's a real estate CPA, so he's a tax guy, but he's also an investor, right? And I think this is really important because he, he owns STRs and he owns multiple businesses. Um, so he, he looks at things like through our lens, like he's in alignment with us, right? And it's, um, it's super helpful because there's a lot of CPAs, a lot of attorneys, a lot of different people in that professional space, but not a lot of them own property and own STRs and look at it through the same lens that we do. And Ryan's kind of like the go-to guy for all this stuff. So super pumped to have him. Let me bring him up. What's up, Ryan? Welcome to the show, man. Hey, Michael. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. How are you? Pretty good today. Yeah. Today's a good day. <laughs> Every day is a good day, man. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So why don't you, uh, why don't we just bring it back and kind of like Talk about your background. I mean, you're you're a fairly young guy, but you've accomplished quite a bit. So, like, let's let's bring it back. Like, what got you into the real estate and entrepreneur, like, business ownership game, and kind of where you're at now? Yeah. So, I started my in college. I studied accounting and finance. I did a double major and then a minor in real estate. And it wasn't until I started. I was working in college when I was preparing tax returns. And that particular day, I did a return for a, a married couple that made $200,000, just run of the mill W-2. And then I did a tax return for a guy who owned, it was about 18 apartment buildings in Chicago. And he made 400 grand in cash flow from real estate. And he was single compared to the married couple that made 200 grand. He paid less in taxes than the married couple who made half as much as he did. And so I'm sitting here pondering and I asked my boss, I and I say, how is this, you know, how is this possible? What is, how does this work? He goes, it's because he invests in real estate. And ever since then, I've been trying to put the pieces together of just, how does this guy do this? I need to do this. I need to work with people who want to do this type of tax strategy. And I've been spending the, the last few years of my life doing that, just helping people buying properties myself, looking to acquire, just put an offer on a property yesterday, actually, and just trying to scale real estate. So Got the business activity going where I help people with the, with the tax strategy. And then I also acquire properties on my own or with partners. Love it. Love it, dude. And you've got, you've got some other business, don't you as well? Is it like a laundry? Yeah, I, just in, I just invest in pretty much anything that cash flows, but cash flow businesses that work well, uh, hair salons, laundromats, uh, anything that's in my area, I'll try to invest in. Okay. Yeah. Interesting, man. Interesting. I don't think we've had anybody on the show that invests in like salons and laundromats. So just out of curiosity, how does that work? Like, do you go and buy it or do you own a percentage of it? Like, is it almost like a syndication percentage. partnership? Yeah. Percentage. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I don't, there's no day to day. And that's, that's what we'll get into maybe in a little bit is that's the beauty of being like a passive investor or what we call like a limited partner is if you're not involved in the day to day, it becomes a 
passive activity to you. And therefore, and all passive activities offset each other, which means I can take losses that I have from maybe my multifamily houses and use those losses to offset the income that I might have from my limited partnership interest in a hair salon or a laundromat. And what I'll talk about at the conference, and we'll, maybe we'll get on to the, today in today's show is, if you look at a tax return, any rich and wealthy person, they don't have any money coming in from the W-2 line. They have all their income that's coming in from passive activities, real estate, that bucket of activities that are going to be able to allow you to offset that income with, with losses. Gotcha. So in, in layman's terms, rich people basically don't have jobs. Don't work they, for money. Yeah. The rich they don't, don't work for money. Yeah. So again, for somebody that's not familiar with like tax stuff or this sounds like super foreign to them, I guess let's talk about like active versus passive income real quick, just so that they get mm -hmm. a general sense. So like active income, like W2, if you're a contractor, where's the line with STRs? Cause that's the gray line that everybody talks about, especially in the professional world. Yeah. So active, active income is going to be pretty much anything that you work for. So if you're a W2, maybe you're a 1099 contractor, that income is also going to be subject to what's known as uh, FICA tax. I call it the F word, but it's social security and Medicare. So if you look at your W2 pay stub, you'll see a little line that says social security and then a little line below that says Medicare. That's like a working man or woman tax that you have on wages or earned income. When you shift over to the passive bucket, so by default, all rental real estate. So not just STRs, but long-term rentals, commercial buildings, any rental real estate, not co-hosting income. Co-hosting income is active. I'll mention that. But any rental real estate where you actually own it, it's considered passive income. So the first step there is passive income does not have that FICA tax, that F word. So right away, any dollar that you earn through real estate, you're, you're going to save more in taxes compared to if you earn that dollar through your day job because you're not going to have that FICA taxation, the Social Security, Medicare. But even further, when we talk about, hey, you know, how do I offset my income? Well, if you're just a W-2 run-of-the-mill em employee, there's limited things that you can do to offset your income. Uh, you got retirement accounts, health savings accounts, having more babies. That's really it that you can do from if you're just a W-2. But if all your income is coming from that passive bucket, when you start having more streams come from rental real estate, whether it's, again, short-term rentals, long-term rentals, commercial, there's so many things you could do on that bucket, that side of things to offset your tax liability that the regular W-2 person can't. What are some examples? And I want to save the depreciation one for after, but what are some other examples that you've seen, I guess, that people can write off through a business to bring that taxable income down? We have to think about everything that goes into running a business, right? You might have to use your phone, your internet, your Wi-Fi to communicate with people. Uh, I have to use my my home, part of the resources in my home, like a utility bill, property taxes for offices that you might own. Same thing with real estate property, right? You're paying property taxes, mortgage interest. You're going to be able to deduct those type of things. Uh, anything that's ordinary in that business. So, you, you know, your, your contractor fees, supplies, furnishings to get it started. Everything's deductible as long as it's ordinary and necessary to the business. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then... I know my favorite is depreciation, but why don't we talk about that for a second? Cause that it's kind of like a fake expense that sure. you can kind of take. Yeah. It doesn't so cost you cash. Yeah. So depreciation is, I would say the government's way of paying you back over the period of time. And so you could, you could think of it as like a loan. So if I bought, let's say 
a $390,000 property. And depreciation for short-term rentals is 39 years. So if I do 390,000 divided by 39, that's 10 grand a year that I get to drop on my profit and loss statement for tax purposes. So maybe my, let's say my rental property cash flows 30 grand. Okay. But I get $10,000 of depreciation. I get to tell the IRS that I only made 20 grand because I have that depreciation amount there. So it is a phantom expense that I don't have to come out of pocket for, but it's recouped over the period, the life that I hold hold on to that property. So in that, in that case, I get 10 grand every single year for 39 years to go against my um, profit and loss. I want to, I want to talk about accelerating that, but first you brought up the point of co-hosting <clears throat> and I get this question all the time. And arbitrage too. You should talk about that. I was going to say, let's hit yeah. on that. Like arbitraging in co-hosting is not the same as owning the asset. So how does Correct. that work for, for write-offs and active versus passive? Yeah, so the co-hosting income and the arbitrage income is going to go in the active bucket. So the only thing you're going to be able to really write off there is going to be your expenses that you incur for that co-hosting income. So computers, equipment, um, phone, right? Any costs that you have in that bucket, but you're not going to get that gem of depreciation to go against your income. Um, and furthermore, right, it's going to be active income subject to that FICA tax, that working man tax that I talk about. So. Okay. To sum it up, you you earn a dollar in co-hosting, you're paying more in taxes than if you earned a dollar if you owning the actual property. So let's talk about accelerating that depreciation, right? Being able to take more of that sooner. So I know you said technically short-term rentals are considered commercial, which means instead of 27 and a half years, it's over 39, right? So yeah. it takes longer for you to recoup that, but let's talk about like cost segregation studies. And that's why it's it's important and you see it a lot more in the commercial and the short-term rental side of things is because it's 39 years as opposed to 27 and a half. So there's already the added incentive to want to speed speed things up. What When I said the depreciation is almost like a loan, it's a loan in the sense that you can almost decide how you want to take it. So if you accelerate the depreciation on it, instead of getting 10,000 that first year, I might get 70 or 80,000 that first year, but the re remaining years, I'm going to be getting maybe five or six grand a year as opposed to 10 grand a year. But the, it's that first year where I'm putting the asset in service, where I'm having my expenses, I'm getting income. I'm able to accelerate the depreciation on that to offset the income from that property. But also I might, I might have other rental properties that are doing well too, that I can use that whatever loss I have remaining against my other rental properties or a hair salon business that's passive to me or a laundromat that's passive to me, right? So accelerating that depreciation, if anybody's learned about time value of money, a, a dollar saved today that we're able to uh, reuse in our business or our real estate is worth more than having that dollar over those 39 years. If, I, if I'm able to accelerate the depreciation and speed up the amount of expenses I'm able to take, I'm saving more money in taxes this year that I can use to reinvest in my business or real estate. And just, just to help people understand how this is possible, right? So if you looked at a piece of property that you own and say it's a $500,000 property and you've got 30 grand worth of furniture in it and you're depreciating and the land is worth a hundred grand, right? You can't depreciate land because that doesn't go down in value and there's no repairs on or whatever. So we'll call it 430 grand that you can actually depreciate over 39 years. What the government is 
saying is basically like you, it's basically giving you a little budget to like fix it up over time. Right. But if you look at a house, some of that stuff is not going to last 39 years. Correct. Right. So with accelerating that depreciation and Ryan, feel free to jump in here from a micro level, but at a macro level, it's like your couch is not going to last 39 years. It might last five years. Right. So they, what a cost segregation study does is it goes and it breaks down all the different compartments of what's in that property and then it's like, all right, well, this really can only last for five years. This might last 10 years, right? And so it lets you take all of those shorter ones and accelerate the depreciation on those. Right. That's exactly right. So what are, I guess, what are the different buckets, Ryan, from a, I guess, from a cost seg standpoint, like from a timeline of like, okay, this is a seven years, a 10 years, a three year, like mm -hmm. how do those buckets we, work? We, we typically see for the majority of houses, they're either going to be five or 15 year property or five or 15 year assets. There's also seven year assets. We don't see it as much. The, the five year assets are going to be pretty much anything inside of the property. So your, your furnishings, your uh, cabinets, countertops, your 15 year assets are going to be what are called land improvements. So it's anything that's structured on top of the land. So maybe you have a deck, a patio, a driveway, uh, anything that's sitting on top of the land is going to be considered a land improvement. And this is something I tell uh, inv investors and clients too, is, is when you're looking at a property from a bird's eye view and you see a ton of land with decks and the whole nine yards on top of it, your eyes should light up because you know that you can immediately write off that, that deck or that patio or that driveway or the fencing or a pool, anything that's fixated to the land itself is going to be able to be depreciated in the first year. Okay. So let's go a little deeper on that. What, what would go into the first year, like bonus depreciation? So like you said, decks, driveways, what else? Decks, driveways, um, paver set, uh, anything that's sitting on top of the land. That's not the, that's not the building itself. Okay. It's considered a land improvement. So would okay. it also be like, if you have like a ADU unit or like a shed that, or like mm -hmm. a separate uh, garage that you have, convert it into an apartment if it's an, if it's an adu most likely the adu is going to be on a 39 year because it's it's producing rental income got it aside from the regular building most likely if it's if it's a shed that's not being used as an adu it's going to be depreciated in the first year but if it's an adu that's producing rental income it, odds are it's going to go on its own depreciation schedule got it so for the first year bonus depreciation there's nothing inside or is there stuff inside? No, there is stuff inside. Yeah. It's, it's going to be your five-year assets. So again, like your cabinets, countertops, uh, flooring, you're going to have um, the furnishings, lights. And it, most of the content that's inside of the building is going to be five-year life. Okay. So anything that's five-year or 15-year can get accelerated into that first Correct. year? Right. Okay. Perfect. Right. Okay. So... Again, the, guys, the reason why this is so important is because if you do the math on that, and let's just say all that stuff adds up to $100,000 worth of stuff, and you get that 100K of depreciation up front, and you're at a 30% tax bracket, that just saved you 30 grand in taxes. Right. Like it adds up quick, especially as you start building your portfolio. So that's why, like, Ryan's talking to the, at the conference about these different strategies because this is how wealthy people get wealthy, 
Like they understand these strategies and that's another 30 to 50 K that you can roll into another deal. Mm-hmm. And then another one, and then offset the losses from some of your properties that are killing it versus maybe some that you got some extra bonus appreciation the first year. So when you can put all these pieces together and you work with somebody like Ryan that can map all this out for you, this is where you really start to generate great cash flow and you can start to really um, multiply your portfolio quickly because you're not just giving all that cash flow to Uncle Sam at the end of the year. And none of this is sketchy. This is all in the tax code. Like the government wants us to buy property. Like people need places to go, people, places to live, places to stay. Like they incentivize people to do this kind of stuff. So they give them tax breaks. Yeah. And even if you're not looking to grow too rapidly, if you have a great W-2 income, this is a great chance for you to offset your W-2 income, right? That's why in our real estate syndication, when we buy apartment complexes, we do cost segregation study to offer to our investors very similar for the same exact reason, right? We're like, hey, do you have a great W-2 job that you need to offset? We're doing a cost segregation study on this 29-unit apartment complex, this 80-unit apartment complex, and then they get to carry some of those write-offs in their taxes. And then as Mike said, then they have more money to invest in more syndication. So it's kind of this like gift that's going to keep on giving. So I love the beginning story, right? That it's kind of very much your very own rich dad for that moment right that you yeah know, it's kind, of like a... kind of looking at it you're like okay i i realize so how did you go from that moment of like understanding to getting your first property and what does that look like yeah so i out of college i actually worked at a consulting firm called deloitte for a year and a half and at deloitte you know, i did a... working there now he your brother's did. working at deloitte he just started like yeah. uh two or three months ago yeah, and, and so I, I was working at Deloitte and I was doing um, investment management taxation. So yeah. we work with a lot of hedge funds, real estate syndications, uh, investment banks. And I was helping people who are millionaires and billionaires get more wealthier. And I and I decided like I want to help the everyday person get rich and wealthy. So I I started, you know, building up on the side, reading as many books as I can. Uh, I bought my first house hack property while I was still there. And then you know, eventually left to scale my own firm because I was like, like I said, I was already helping rich and wealthy people get even more rich and wealthy. And I wanted to help the everyday person, people, yeah. people more like me get rich and wealthy. So that's why I decided to leave. And, um, and here I am now about a year and a half later. I love Deloitte. Deloitte to me has that like a empire kind of, kind of vibe. Like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I have no idea, but I assume that everybody's like super, super corporate and walks around and it's just the, the evil empire just helping richer people get richer. So I love that. That's so you have your your company, right? And so what do your systems look like? Because obviously you're busy helping helping clients. So who's running your properties or what kind of systems you have to run your properties? I saw I still self-manage my properties just because I have uh, maintenance crews come out sometimes for grass or things I can't get a handle on. But I manage most of I manage all the properties I own now just because of cash flow reasons. Um, especially when you have managers of properties, it it kills cash flow, especially on the short term rental side, where you know they're taking like 15, 20% gross. Um, until I get to a point where I, I feel like my time is better spent on my business and, and scaling that rather than paying somebody 20% to run my properties, I'll move to that route. But for now I still self-manage. But you you brought up a good point is the systems that are in play are essential because you'll find yourself doing the same task over and over. 
And if you can figure out how to automate that or streamline that process, that's what I noticed at Deloitte too. I was, I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm building processes and efficiencies at this company that if I did that for myself, I would make my job, my life a lot easier. And at the end of the day, it comes down to when, when you want to scale something, it comes down to your systems that are in play. Having the proper system is going to allow you to scale faster. So for right now, Ryan, are you using like a PMS and a pricing tool and all that stuff? Or are you just doing everything straight through like Airbnb or Verbo or what are you doing now? Uh, we are using, yeah, we're using pricing tools on newly acquired properties. When first started off, we didn't, which was a mistake. Um, you should try to use a pricing tool because especially the pricing tool is an algorithm that's based on what's going on in the world. Right. And if it knows something that you don't know, why would you not want to use that? So for example, like I was talking to somebody who I forget it was their place was in Miami or something. And they announced that this big event's going to be there. Well, like price labs is going to know that. And it's going to change the, the date, the ADR for that particular day or weekend, you know? And if you're not keeping up on the day to day of what's going on in that area, you're going to miss that. And somebody's going to book your, somebody's going to book your place at 30%, 40% less than what you could have got for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I, any, the thing with platforms that people need to understand is the platform don't care about how much money you make. So Airbnb is not going to have a thing that's like, hey, by the way, remember to raise prices for holidays, special events, local things, because Airbnb doesn't care. Airbnb just right. wants to list your space. But if you are under the assumption as a new host that they're going to have a thing be like, hey, let, let, let us show you how to make the most amount of money. Airbnb doesn't do any of that. You need to have a property management software that then plugs into a pricing software just to help you. And like, again, like it makes it so easy because it also allows you to do as you scale to do a change on a lot of different listings all at once. Whereas if you are doing it on Airbnb by yourself, you're going to have to go into every single one of them and change it by the week and change it by the date. And again, if you're trying to replace your income, wasting a bunch of hours doing something that can be automized by AI. Mm -hmm. It's really dumb. So Ryan, what are some of the things that you're going to be covering in Nashville? I know you're going to be talking about some of this, but is it going to be a more detail or what are some of the things that you, that you got going on? Yeah. So the presentation is going to start off just explaining what I kind of uh, laid out earlier, just the rich don't work for money. Right. I have that on one of my slides and it's the more, the more income that you can get, in the passive buckets of activities, whatever it is, right? For us, it's short-term rentals, but it, the more income you can get in that passive bucket of activities, the less taxes you're going to pay, the more cash that's going to hit your bank account. And over a period of time, you're going to grow wealthy and see what's called your effective tax rate decrease over time. Um, so we're going to start off with that. We got a little bit more into the numbers when it comes to the depreciation. Uh, we're going to be talking about entity structuring for short-term rentals. We're going to be talking about uh, strategies to exit properties and strategies to acquire properties. So we're going to, it's going to be pretty good. Hopefully I ran through the, um, I ran through it with uh, Rachel, Rachel's group a few nights ago. And I think I came at about 36, 35 minutes. So I'd maybe slow down a little bit. Nice. I tend to talk fast when I'm presenting you know excited yeah yeah i'm just Talking excited tax code your accountants get excited um question for you if somebody is listening to this and they have a bunch of little side businesses 
majority of side businesses have an active component to it. So is there another business that people can can do as a side business that would give them the same tax benefit that real estate has? Or is real estate unique in nature? Because in my mind, it is unique in nature, but I am also mm -hmm. very limited by the amount of knowledge that I have, which is very small. That's why I ask you. So there's only two types of passive activities. The first one is all rental real estate by default. So long-term rental, short-term rental, commercial, right? All rental real estate by default. And number two is any activity in which you don't materially participate in, materially participate. Which means like if you're running a co if you're running co-hosting, you're participating in that business. It's not passive to you. But you know, in my example or somebody else's example, if I take my money and I invest it in somebody's business and I don't make any decisions, I just I just sit back and I have a percent or ownership share, that's passive to me. So that's that's one of the two passive activities. Again, all rental real estate and any activity in which you don't materially participate in. So like a syndication is an example. When you get mm -hmm. groups of investors, those GPs are going to be active in that syndication, but all your LPs are going to be uh, limited partners. That's a passive activity to them. So then those LPs could be sitting there. And I have a few clients that do this where, you know, they'll acquire a short-term rental, get it all fixed up, uh, do depreciation, bonus depreciation on it. And then the, the next year they're like, Hey, I need a loss, but I don't want to go through the hassle of buying another short-term rental. So they're able to invest in, say, a real estate syndication that's going to do a cost segregation study and generate them a loss that they can use to offset the short-term rental. Again, mm -hmm. all passive activities, they can offset each other. So you can have losses from one, income from another, and it'll offset each other. So those are the two types of... So when you invest in a business, is there a percentage cap that you have to be under to be considered non-active? Or as long as you're not... No. If you have... 49% of the business, as long as you're not doing the day-to-day -day operations, right. would, would, would qualify you. Correct. Yeah. I mean, the more ownership percentage you have, the, I would say the more sketchier it looks, right? If you're like 99% yeah. owner. The harder to prove one. also. Yeah. 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 But if you think, if you think of like a, a typical syndication, like the GP is going to be 30% and then the L, the LPs are going to make up 70% of that. Able it that, you know, there's going to be maybe a dozen or 15 LPs, but the ownership percentage doesn't matter. It all comes down to who's the one making the decisions and that's doing the day-to-day -day activities. The LPs are not, the LPs are just sitting back. Got it. So the majority of the time, any side hustle that you do, unless you're investing in somebody else that is doing a side hustle and that's generating you income is going to be considered um, active income. Correct. But by that token, then if you're somebody that wants to invest in somebody that has an arbitrage or co-host business, mm -hmm. but you're not actively working on it, then that could technically qualify. Correct. Yeah. So if you want to invest in Michael's um, arbitrage business, you could be a passive investor. You could say, hey, here's X amount of dollars. I, I'm not making any decisions. All that's happening is I want a percentage share in this business. I'm going to get cash flow from it. And you're considered a limited partner, right? Or you're considered um, passive. So then you could take the income that you get from Mike's business, your share, and and have losses from your rentals and use those losses to offset that income. Pretty cool, right? It's, yeah, it's very, I think uh, I think it's super cool. And like at the last time I had this conversation a lot with somebody, we were at a at a real estate conference, and we were sitting at a table. It was a bunch of guys from GoBundance, who were like six or seven of us, everybody invests in real estate. 
and the waiter heard us talking about real estate. It's like, oh, I want to get into real estate. And we then got to the conversation about what we're talking about just now, which to me is crazy. And it makes you feel kind of bad in a sense was the realization in that moment that we're talking to the waiter and the eight of us that had a couple thousand units between all of us put together combined paid less taxes than the waiter. You've heard the saying that, um, what is it? Which is, which is messed up. But I, again, it's like Mike said, it's not illegal. It's just in, in the rules. So you just need to play, play by the rules and like hire Ryan. We don't know what the rules are. Yeah, Robert Robert Kiyosaki said that there's there's two tax codes. There's one for the informed and the uninformed, right? So there's one for the you know the people that know what they're doing. What like you said, and we've we've heard the saying that Warren Buffett pays less in taxes than his secretary. It's not that he actually physically pays less in taxes, but his effective tax rate, the amount of tax that he pays on each dollar, is less than her effective tax rate. Mm-hmm. And like I, like I was saying before. The more you shift your ordinary or active businesses income to passive ventures, the less you're going to be paying in taxes over time, or you might pay nothing in taxes. Right. I just got off the phone with a guy today, you know, mapping out how he can, you know, buy five or six properties a year and pay nothing in taxes. Right. Just keep acquiring property, keep depreciating them, pay nothing in taxes and keep the, keep the, keep the ball rolling, you know? Mm-hmm. And the thing with real estate, and and probably you'll talk about this at the conference, which is another reason why I love it, is that this game never ends, right? Because let's say, let's say that you're a normal investor and you decide to depreciate something over the 27 years. The moment I sell something after 27 years, I can do what's called a 1031 exchange, right? And then yep. I can roll those profits. So I'll, I took advantage of the asset for however long I took it. And then I rolled those profits into more real estate. And so that's why the cycle of real estate never ends. Because mm-hmm. technically you can then create assets where you pay no taxes and they give you depreciation. So you pay less taxes on other things and then it just keeps on rolling. And then until you actually decide to do sell something. Yeah, every every stage of the game, like real estate trumps any other asset class from a tax perspective. And I think a wealth building perspective too. Like, you know, when you buy it, you're able to accelerate the depreciation, right? But that cash flow that you receive in that year, there's no FICA tax, right? So automatically you're paying less than the guy who's working a W-2. And then as that asset grows over time, you know, you have the uh, the appreciation on that. What do we do with that? Well, we can cash out refinance, maybe not now because interest rates are super high, but we could take out HELOCs against it. So as that asset, maybe, you know, let's say we buy a $500,000 building, we've accelerated the depreciation on it. We've, we've got a tax benefit there. Mm-hmm. As that asset climbs in value, let's say our $500,000 property, you know, if you're in the Smokies, that $500,000 property is like $1.5 million two, two years later, you know? Now that, now that asset's $1.5 million, well, how do, we, how do we tap into that appreciated value? Mm-hmm. If we sell it, we don't have the asset anymore and we have a tax bill. But we could refinance or take a HELOC out against that appreciated value. That's not a taxable event, right? And then when we ultimately go to sell it, if we sell it outright, and don't do anything fancy. It's it's just a fifteen percent capital gain, or twenty percent, right? Short a long term capital gain. But like you said before, is now we're on that exit plan. We can exchange that for a different property. So every single step of the way could be non taxable if you play your cards right. I, and I truly mean it. Like mm-hmm. if you're a full time real estate investor, and when I say this, I mean you're not doing co 
co-hosting or arbitrage because again that's ordinary income active but if you're a full-time real estate investor like paying taxes is optional if you if you plan right this this episode to me feels like one of those like life hacking episodes it's a cheat code man yeah it is the cheat code right and like the the beauty of like and so like nonchalantly kind of said that is like well you can refinance and that's not a taxable event so where you technically go and this this is my approach and i do this every couple of years is that your properties become an atm you mm. just have to do withdrawals in a cash-free atm right in a bulk <laughs> right but like you know every four or five years you can like decide okay i'm gonna refi this property take this money out and it's free money Mm-hmm. for the rest of your life. Ryan, one last thing that I wanted to to get to you before we wrap up, because is, and I know you talked to, to my mastermind group about this, but there's a lot of misconceptions and misinformation around the whole real estate professional designation and how mm-hmm. you can offset, you know, a lot of high earning W2s, doctors, CPAs, attorneys, whatever profession that make a lot of W2 income if they qualify as a real estate professional with short-term rentals, they can offset their W-2 income with losses from those. But what are, what are those criteria to meet that real estate designation? I'll try to keep it very simple. Real estate professional status only applies to people who own long-term rentals or commercial buildings. Okay. The, the, the loophole or the, the workaround is short-term rentals. So short-term rentals where the average guest stays seven days or less you don't have to be a real estate professional. Okay. And what I mean by that is, so I'm a real estate CPA, but like the work that I do does not qualify as a real estate professional activity. So I'm, I'm SOL to take my long-term rental or my commercial building losses against my income. And so is every other doctor, nurse, attorney, you fill in the blank because in order to be a real estate professional, you have to take, you have to prove that you spend more time in real estate than you do your day job. If you're working, you know, a 40 hour a week job, you're not going to be able to prove that you're going to have to work like 85 hours a week. The, the loophole is short-term rentals because with short-term rentals, you do not have to be a real estate professional uh, in order to take your losses against your W2 or your 1099. You just, you have to do two things. Number one is uh, the average guest who stays at your property is seven days or less. So if you add up the total amount of days that it's running out divided by the number of unique stays, as if that's 7.0 or less, you meet step number one. And then step number two is you have to prove, again, that you materially participate in that activity, in that rental property. So the, the way you prove that is you're going to be counting, your, you're going to keep track of your time, the time spent um, getting it set up, hosting it, responding to guests, all that type of activities you have to keep track of. And you have to prove these certain hour requirements. I don't want to go through the hour requirements on the show. I did it in the mastermind though, didn't I? A little bit. You did. We don't need to go yeah. that deep today, but that but, there's a lot of misinformation about this out yeah. there. That's why I want to touch it. You don't, yeah. So you don't need to be a, mostly just a teaser for people to come to Nashville. Which, yeah, which is that. like, which is insane because for the longest time, you know, if you're a doctor or a lawyer, like you're not going to be able to take your losses from your rental properties and offset your W two. But with this, with short term rentals specifically, you can be a nurse, you can be a doctor, you could be a CPA. As long as you check those boxes, you're going to be able to use your losses from your short-term rentals against your active income. And that's how you scale and build wealth, right? Because if I'm able to save $30,000, $40,000 in taxes, I'm able to put that as a down payment on the next property and repeat those same steps. 
hundred percent, hundred percent. So thank so you good. for clarifying that again, yeah. that could be like a whole nother, yeah, I, off, which you did for my, for my group, but we don't have time to do that on the show. But, um, before we get into the last question, where can folks connect with you and learn more about you and see about working with you? Yeah, I'm just, I'm on Instagram. Let's see, Instagram, Twitter. I got a TikTok now. It's just at learn like a CPA, learn like a CPA. And then my website's also just www.learnlikeacpa.com. You can contact me, shoot me a DM, shoot me a question, whatever you got. Love it. Or just come talk to them in Nashville in like 10 days. Or come see me in Nashville, buy me some beers and stuff. I'm fasting <laughs> for Nashville, so. <laughs> at least i'm trying nice so ryan the last question that we like to ask all of our guests is what is your number one secret to success with short-term rentals people i think i it's really a people business um at the end of the day we get we get paid in relation to the problems that we solve for others right if you think of any sort of job it's like you're you're gonna get a wage or you're gonna demand an hourly rate or a service that's equal to the problem that you can solve and so if you're a better people person and you're a problem solver, you're going to demand a higher um, rate than somebody that's not good with people or problem solving. So at the end of the day, it's a people business. And the thing with real estate too is like it blesses everybody, man. Like you you got real estate agents that are getting paid. The title company is getting paid. The lawyers, um, the people who are staying in your properties are being able to use your property, right? You got contractors that are getting paid. Accountants are getting paid. Everybody's getting paid in real estate, man, and it blesses everybody. So that's the best asset class. Love it. I love that. That was so good. And I also like want to like, I think there is a level of knowledge that is necessary to talk about things that can be complicated in a very simple way. And the entire entire show, it was very simple for being, being a CPA. So first of all, I applaud you for that because... A show like this could have gotten really dry and, and it was not. And it was actually really, really packed with a lot of great info. So, yeah. Awesome. Appreciate man. it. Well, Congrats, Ryan, man. thanks again, man. Always enjoy catching up with you. Looking forward to hanging with you in 10 days or so. Yeah. And uh, for the listeners, thanks again for tuning in. Love you guys. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Take care, everybody. Right, Hey, STR Nation, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. And in the comments, let us know what topics you want us to cover on upcoming episodes, and we'll make sure to get that in the books for you. And if you really want to learn how to launch, automate, and scale your short-term rental business, if you want to go deeper, then check out our free masterclass at strsecrets.com.